BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. I think I want to start with uh, Newt Gingrich uh, because there's a larger point to be made about uh, what's going on with Newt Gingrich and Donald Trump's drain the swamp uh, promise from the election. Uh, if you've been paying attention to this uh, to this story for the last couple of days, uh, Newt Gingrich basically came out and said, look, Donald Trump doesn't really care about the promise to drain the swamp in Washington anymore. Not going to be doing it. Here's the here's the first clip that he said where th- th- this got him in all the trouble. I'm told he now disclaims that he now says it was it was cute, but he doesn't want to use it anymore. He doesn't want to use drain the swamp anymore. I don't know. I saw somebody sent me that note last night because I'd written a what I thought was a very cute tweet about uh, the alligators are complaining, and somebody <laughs> wrote back and said they were tired of hearing this stuff. So that's where Newt Gingrich was uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, somebody told him that Donald Trump no longer wanted to drain the swamp. Well, it turns out. Donald Trump still wants to drain the swamp, uh, or at least likes those words. Uh, here's a little bit more of Newt Gingrich uh, putting his tail between his legs, uh, rolling over, playing dead for Donald Trump, and then popping up and telling everybody how he liked to be playing dead for Donald Trump. I mean, here's, here's Newt. I want to report that I made a big boo-boo. Hey, can I stop the tape for a second? Hey, boo-boo. Can I stop the tape for a second? Uh, he's a grown man. Yeah, no. Don't say, "Oh, I made a boo boo." No, I mean he sounds in your like, Facebook live video. No, he sounds like he's like, yeah, that's that's it's the like most. Kid talk. I want to report that I made a big boo boo. I like I maybe talk to my kids it's like, like that. It's infantilism. It's infant. Yeah, that's what it that, is. I mean, that's like it's scary because it's like you could hear that him saying that to like absolutely. Like, you know, whatever. Anybody. I, can we say whatever? Like, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> here's, I the whole, here's the whole clip. Here's the whole I want to report that I made a big boo boo. I talked this morning with President-elect Donald Trump, and he reminded me he likes draining the swamp. I mischaracterized it the other day. He intends to drain the swamp. Uh, he even describes it as DTS. Um, he thinks uh, taking on Boeing uh, and the price is an example of draining the swamp. Uh, and so I want all of you to know I goofed. Draining the swamp is in. The alligators should be worried. Uh, and you'll hear me write more about alligators and the swamp. Uh, but I wanted, I thought I owed it to all of uh, the folks who follow me that when I make a mistake, I'm going to be straightforward and tell you, I blew that one. Draining the swamp is in. President-elect Trump wants to do it, and you're going to get to be part of it. I like how he says, he's de- draining the swamp is still in. He's even calling it DTS. <laughs> like, that makes it more official. He's such a genius. DTS. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I, oh, I get it. Oh, man. Newt has liked, uh, Newt's been around for a long time, man. What other uh, DT initial things does Newt Gingrich use? Man, where I'm going to walk myself right into it. I blew that one. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Newt, chill Whoa. out, buddy. Chill out, buddy. I know you like Trump and all, but uh, I know you like him that much. <laughs> Peter, Peter, Peter. I blew that one. Okay, all right, that's enough. 
<laughs> all right. So it did sound that way, though, huh? A little bit. Yeah. All right. So this is uh, this is a huge problem uh, that will continue to go on for quite a while in the Donald Trump presidency. I think you and I are betting that it will go on for all four or potentially eight years of the Donald Trump presidency, which is uh, Donald Trump is lying. He's a fraud. There's no <laughs> two ways man. about a it. A fraud. When he says he wants to drain the swamp, uh, that's part of what he wants to do. He wants to drain the swamp so that he can put more aggressive reptiles in the swamp. And you'll be able to see them and they'll just be like, we got rid of all that murky water. <laughs> like, well done. I'm going to pat myself on the back, making America great again. Uh, he, for Secretary of State, has chosen the CEO of ExxonMobil. That is not draining the swamp. Right? I mean, look, I'm not going to judge Rex Tillerson on uh, having been the CEO of ExxonMobil. Right? I'm not going to say just because you were the CEO of ExxonMobil, you have nothing to offer. I am going to say that just because you were the CEO of ExxonMobil, who cozied up to Russia against the stated interests of the United States, that you should not be the Secretary of State. I think that's fair. Right? There was a point where... Exxon looked at what was going on in Russia. They're like, we can get some Arctic drilling going on. Uh, looked at the uh, the U.S. policy toward Russia, particularly um, particularly after we put sanctions in place uh, to punish Russia for, for the Ukraine incursion. And Tillerson goes over to St. Petersburg this year to party with Putin. Like, are you kidding me? If you were like a regular citizen and you were doing that, the government would be angry at you. Rex Tillerson, CEO of ExxonMobil? You know, I think He's that, working at odds with American foreign policy. That's what, I mean, so, like, you know, I have this conversation often with people about what happened and what's to come and how bad it could get and all of that. And I think that best case scenario, right, best case scenario. Is that they're all incompetent? Is that, well, <laughs> is, that, is that they're all incompetent at leading, but they're all very good at, at making their... Uh, bottom line uh and making a lot of money right uh, and so i think that that is the big play here i mean I that, that is that is the big play this is but it's but it's become very very clear now what what happens to that right like do people just accept that i'm not sure that they will for much longer i think they will unless it becomes yeah. like super clear how corrupt it is but at some point it's it pretty will. clear how corrupt it is already. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, to us, it's clear yeah, to us how it's corrupt clear. it is. To us, it's clear. But it, it, it's important to remember that a lot of times this takes a while to break through sure. to the American public. Most people sure. are not paying attention to uh, what did Rex Tillerson do before they named him to be Secretary of State. What did Ben Carson do, neurosurgery, before they put him in charge of housing? Uh, what did this guy, Chris Kobach, uh, who's like captain of our Muslim ban, what, what did he do before that? Oh, he was Secretary of State of Kansas. Like, they don't know. Yeah, They don't know that this is like, I mean, if Major League Baseball decided to have a least star game, <laughs> take the worst players in Major League Baseball and put them on the field for an all-star game type thing, yeah, uh, it would look something like the Trump cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> like, there That's are fair. qualified people out there. Like, even Newt Gingrich, who scares me, frankly, with his... Um, I think with his uh, inability to like sort of stick to any sort of plan or principle. I blew that one. Yeah. 
Newt does not appear to be taking a job in uh, a, like a real job in the um, the Trump administration. Like at least he's got some experience with government. You looked like you were going to play another. Boo boo. Uh, boo boo. That's terrible. So, Newt Gingrich. Yeah. He promised to drain the swamp in 1994. Nineteen ninety four. He ran an entire campaign against uh Democrats for their corruption, for their perfidy, uh, and he uh got Republicans elected. They threw out the old Democrats in nineteen ninety four, first time in forty years, under all these sweeping promises of changes, term limits that actually needed like a constitutional amendment, whatever. He knew he could make a bunch of promises that he didn't have to fulfill. The one promise that Newt Gingrich fulfilled, the one thing that he actually did with all of that power is he destroyed bipartisanship in Washington. He destroyed the ability of Democrats and Republicans to work together when their interests aligned. I'm not saying that these guys ought to be selling out what their party principles are, their personal principles are. I'm just saying every once in a while when your principles align, you should work with the other side and not be like, you know what, that's the other side, I'm not going to work with them. Newt Gingrich... Uh, got House Republicans to vote in unanimity against Bill Clinton's budget in 1993. It was the first time anybody could remember a president's budget uh, not having some support from the other side. He turned us into a parliamentary system or attempted to. Like, If you want to look at approximate cause for all of the dysfunction in Washington, Newt Gingrich is it. And there's not a single principle that Newt Gingrich has held from start to finish other than wanting to rat F uh, Democrats every chance he gets. Um, how fast did he turn around on this Trump thing and it, like almost begging for forgiveness for tr- from Trump publicly? The video, the audio that we played is, is really bad. The video is so pathetic because it's Newt in a conference room that he just puts up on Facebook Live through his phone, and he looks, you know, worn out, beat up. And he's just sort of like begging for forgiveness, for saying the drain the swamp thing was over. Like, what's he worried about? That Donald Trump's going to, like, cast him out? I mean, what, like, so what? He already has in a lot of ways, right? Like, Newt Gingrich is not in this to be some sort of outlying advisor to the Trump administration, right? I, I will say this for Donald Trump. I have always thought that um, that the president of the United States' job and any good candidate's job is to get rid of people around them who uh, threaten their mission. Newt Gingrich is a threat to the mission. Rudy Giuliani was a threat to the mission. Chris Christie was a threat to the mission. Donald Trump was not going to go down because of loyalty to these people. Like, the president of the United States owes no one loyalty. They all owe loyalty to the president. I think that's kind of cool. We're going to have to take a break in a minute. I want to hear your calls on Newt Gingrich and how awesome he made America the first time so that Donald Trump could make America great again. Uh, Phone number here is 866-55-PRESS. That's 866-557-7377. We'll see you on the other side of the break. We have on the line... Uh, somebody who can help talk with us a little bit about some of what's been going on in the North Carolina governor's race. Uh, David Daly, editor-in-chief of Salon and author of Rat... 
the true story of behind the secret plan to steal America's democracy. Good morning, David. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Because on that point about, you know, getting more votes and then still not being able to govern necessarily, uh, what's happening in North Carolina? Where exactly right. The, there's a new governor. They clearly want some change. And instead of working with the new guy who happens to be a Democrat, the legislature just took all of his power away. Now, how does that happen? Well, what you have to understand first here is that the legislature in North Carolina is perhaps the most gerrymandered legislature in the country, the Senate and the House. Republicans control big supermajorities in both bodies that they essentially have not earned at the ballot box. In the redistricting after the 2010 census, Republicans drew themselves some of the most tilted, gerrymandered maps that have ever been done in the history of the country in North Carolina. So in the 2016 election, 58 of the 120 House seats were unopposed by a major party candidate. Republicans and Democrats looked at those districts and said, there is no chance of winning in any of these districts, even though this is a presidential year. One-third of the Senate seats were completely unopposed. I mean, ultimately, this is bad for the people. Yes. Because there's no choice between candidates. There is no choice, and the districts are drawn to intentionally create no choice. Let me take it one step further. These districts were drawn by Republicans in order to give people no choice. This is not politics as usual. This is not both sides do it. This was a national strategy that played out at the state level by the Republican Party in North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Virginia, Florida, swing states, purplish states, sometimes blue states, in order to try to find ways to govern from the minority. And they have done it, and you are seeing the legislative impact of this now play out in state after state. It's not just North Carolina and the bathroom bills. Look at what's been coming out of the gerrymandered Ohio legislature in the last couple of weeks. Um, a, a, a new concealed carry expansion to daycares and college campuses. The abortion a ban after six... Because yeah, a daycare weeks. ought to have, a, have... You ought to be packing heat in a daycare. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because... Uh, yeah, yeah, I the, can't see how any... I can't see how that could go crazy. wrong. Ever. It's almost impossible to imagine a scenario. Uh, you know? And, and you continue to see... State legislatures take away the power of local bodies and of the people to try to influence change in these states. So so the city of Cleveland had been talking about raising the minimum wage to $15. One of the things the Ohio legislature did this week was say local cities and municipalities cannot do that. Um, North Carolina and other states where people have tried to make an end run around these gerrymandered districts by trying to take it to the ballot and put and put clean redistricting reform on as a referendum they've said you cannot put redistricting issues on the ballot so this is the the, the the word coup is a a very strong word and i don't use it lightly, but that is what is happening in many of these states. 
you are seeing an unresponsive Republican majorities in these bodies that are acting as if they do not have to be concerned about the ballot box, and there's a reason why. They don't have to be. They have insulated themselves from the ballot box. And what's happened in North Carolina, what's happened in Ohio, is going to be the national playbook. And we'd better wake up to it now and figure out how to fight back against it. We have with us in studio Joel Payne, who is the uh, director of African-American paid media for the Hillary Clinton campaign. I'm going to talk a little bit with Joel about uh, the future of the Democratic Party. Um, I actually have like a really drill down question that I want to start with that's sort of in the wheelhouse of what you did, which is there was a debate in courting the African-American community from uh, within the campaign, I think within the larger Democratic Party, about uh, the extent to which paid media in uh, in newspapers, in traditional African-American newspapers, the, uh, the Defender or the Columbus Communicator you were mentioning before, whether that still has value or if it is inefficient to reach voters that way and you should spend your more mo- money more on uh, digital and television advertising to try to, or even more appropriately, I guess, radio, sure. uh, to try to get uh, black voters uh, energized to the polls and, and persuaded, because in some cases this, this cycle... Uh, Clinton still had some persuasion work to do. Yeah. Yeah. And and John, thanks for having me. You know, look, we had a really good, robust program. We spent a lot of money across a lot of platforms. I'll say this about newspapers. Um, It is a it's a an evolving um, art form in terms of uh, in terms of reaching voters. And I would say that definitely some of the newspaper advertising that you see now is digital. Um, it's different as a as a newspaper journalist yourself. I'm sure you know that very well. Um, I think traditional newspaper advertising has changed, um, but I do think in the African American community, it's still very important to be seen and heard in those outlets. Um, I think African American voters expect you to support small um, businesses that are uh, very important and, and very valued in the African American community. And so, I think the campaign did that. I think we um, spent by far across any. Um, constituency group on African-American newspapers, we by far um, outspent that. You didn't see us spending print ads on the, the Washington Post or on the New York Times or on the Wall Street Journal. You saw us in the Columbus newspaper. You saw us in the Cleveland newspaper. You saw us in the Miami newspaper. So um, I think that was reflected in our campaign strategy. So that's still part of part of what you got to do. I think it's part of what you got to do. I think you th- there's an expectation. I mean, and, and Believe me, um, I'm sure you know very well some of the members of the Congressional Black Caucus who also expect that to be a part of the equation as well, too. And they, right. they made sure we knew that. Yeah, I was about to say, they're, they're, they're not reluctant. They're not reticent. Uh, they are not. <laughs> and, and rightfully so. Um, I think it's good that we support those small businesses in the, in the African-American community. And I think that voters appreciate it. Um, all right. So the Democratic Party uh, is, according to so many Democrats right now, lost in the woods, can't figure out where it's going, devastated after this election. I look at it a little differently. I think the Democratic Party got more votes for president than the Republican Party did. I think it got more votes for uh, more votes for uh, for the Congress. I, you know, I mean, I look at uh, what happened this time and I'm like, you know, the, the Democrats have to tweak around the edges, not yeah. throw everything that they've been doing out. I'm curious what, what you think the 
party needs to do. Yeah, I, you know, and I think it was easy early on to, you know, before all the vote totals came in to say, oh, we didn't, you know, activate our base. We didn't engage voters the way we needed to. Our numbers are going to be very comparable, very close to Obama 12 numbers. Um, and I think that that is something that we should not back down from. I don't think Donald Trump has the mandate that he's been walking around claiming that he has. Um, I think Democrats have just as strong of a stake to being a part of this agenda and helping to frame this agenda um, as the president-elect does. Um, I will say this, though. You know, it is um, it is very comparable, I think, to 2004 um, when you look at where we are kind of right now. And I'd look at Howard Dean, right? And so think about where the party was at that point. Um, you know, you had the Al Gore loss in 2000, and the party was a little bit lost in the woods and trying to figure out where it was going to go and what the soul of the party was. And if you kind of had some things go differently in some of those early primary states, Howard Dean could have very easily been the standard bearer of the party. I think you could see that in three or four years. I think you could see an Elizabeth Warren. I think you could see, um, you know, folks from the kind of more liberal wing of the party um, kind of take take hold of, of the mantle of the leadership of the party. We've seen proxy wars for the DNC chair right. already, right? Keith it, Ellison, Tom Perez, Jamie Harrison. You yeah. know, I think that's what that's all about. It's uh, So who are they the proxies for? Can you interpret that for me a little bit? Oh, man. Uh, I think I'd be making a lot more money if I could interpret <laughs> it for you. Um, I, I mean, think Perez seems to be the Obama proxy. It, I think that's right. I think that's right. I think if you kind of think about where the party is, the establishment, and, and, and I know it's kind of become an ugly word, but I mean that with um, all due respect, uh, the establishment of the party is probably more the Tom Perez. Um, I think Jamie Harrison's a really interesting candidate, and I think he's got interesting support, particularly um, from kind of the state party chairs the kind of rank and file membership of the party and then obviously keith ellison um who has been a superstar with the progressive caucus and the progressives in the party hey everybody this is bill press thanks for listening to the bill press and friends podcast and now do yourself a favor if you haven't already done so subscribe to the show on itunes here's what you do just search for the bill press show then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. In studio... The one, the only, Niall Stanage of the whole newspaper, associate editor. I assume that means if you do your job well, uh, that you will someday move from associate to partner. Is it like a law firm? Something like that. That's, that's the plan. Then that's I get a, a share in the vast profits that we all know exist in publishing these days. Jimmy Finkelstein, <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> Niall would like to be partner. <laughs> be in danger now. <laughs> um, so uh, you're focused a lot on the Trump transition right now. Sure. Um, the big news uh, from the transition the last day was the appointment of Sean Spicer, yes. Republican National Committee chief strategist, uh, as the press secretary in the White House. And we were talking to Betsy Woodruff a little bit earlier today about how Sean has auditioned for this role by beating up the press. Right. Absolutely. Um, many of whom are people he gets along with behind closed doors. Sure. Uh, what are you expecting from the press secretary in the Trump administration 
Because Trump is so different in the way that he communicates. Right, absolutely. And he takes a certain pleasure, I think, in being as combative as possible with the press. And that's certainly something that Sean uh, shares, at least publicly. Uh, maybe you spoke with Betsy about the event he did uh, a while ago last last week, I think, with Politico, where he yeah. lambasted Politico from the stage of their own uh, event. So that's part of where he's coming from. Um, more seriously, the, the Trump uh, communications team, including Sean Spicer, have suggested that they could be looking at changing things in terms of the way um, media business is conducted at the White House. Now, he seems to indicate he'll still do daily briefings, but there's an implication that some things might change down there. Maybe the Hill could uh, get a, a spot a little closer to the front. Maybe get front and center. That's the place to be, right? right? Except we'd, the... ha- we'd have to oust, uh, is it associated APs? APs, yeah. In the yeah, TV whatever. networks. Yeah, the party. AP, Reuters. NBC News, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Small audiences. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think the daily briefings are necessary? I, I'm somewhat skeptical about the daily briefings. I mean, I don't know how you uh, feel about them. I know that people in our business get very worked up about any implication that it might change. The number of times that genuine news gets made at the daily briefings seems not that great to me. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of um, basically... Um, Spoon feeding is probably too pejorative a term, but but stating what the whatever the administration of the day wants to state without coming under much challenge for it, I think. Preening and posturing. I, my my take is that it actually that the daily briefings happen because they are advantageous not to the reporters but to the administration right. for that reason that they put out their their sort of talking points. Um, but also because it occupies the time of White House reporters for several hours in the middle of the day, which precludes them from doing other things that they would be doing, like say calling people at the White House asking them for comment on things and or uh, calling agencies and trying to find out what's going on. So uh, I've always thought of the daily briefing as actually like a control mechanism for the White House rather than some great point of access for journalists who could otherwise spend their time calling people. Right. And it's definitely something that all reporters and I'm not I'm not at all um, been denigratory toward any colleagues, but all reporters who cover the White House have to, I mean, that's the focus of their day. It becomes the focus of their day. And therefore, you end up, as you say, with a couple of hours doing that. And what does the press secretary say? And what do they not say? And you get a whole uh, sort of uh, plethora of stories that are um, not always the most searching or most incisive. Donald Trump, uh, according to reporting earlier this year, wanted to know why he couldn't use nuclear weapons. And now, uh, with Vladimir Putin saying he wants to beef up the Russian uh, nuclear arsenal, Donald Trump wants to beef up the American nuclear arsenal. Uh, Do you think this is just talk, or do you think there's actually a plan that might go forward to... uh, to arm up. So we don't really have any clarity on what Donald Trump meant by this speech. We talked about expanding the nuclear capability. Does he mean actually more weapons? Does he mean improved uh, systems for what is rather euphemistically called weapons delivery? Right. Uh, how can you get these weapons to, you know, through your enemy's defenses um, as fast as possible? It, it's so difficult to predict Trump and everyone who tries to do so seems to um, lose money on that particular bet. But he certainly isn't backing away from what he said. In fact, as I understand it, he has said just this morning, let there be an arms race if that's if that's what our um, 
fools want. So uh, no, no backing down in that respect, at least. Yeah, I mean, I view this as like uh, potentially him and Putin uh, going for a mutually good uh, economic cycle for Russia and the United States. Let's build a bunch of nukes. Uh, <laughs> improve employment unless we have to use them at any time. Right? right. Well, you know, at which point there will be fewer, you know, less competition for jobs, I guess. This is very true. It's a more lightly populated nation at that stage. Wow. But it's, uh, it, we'll probably get complaints about that. But no, I mean, it's a serious, it's a, it is a serious issue. And it is, I think, for people who are really uh, expert in the issue of nuclear proliferation, which, which I'm not, but, the, you know, there is a whole lexicon that goes with that issue where people not just in the United States but elsewhere uh, look very carefully at what words are used and how those should be interpreted, and that's not really the Trump uh, technique. Yeah, the protocol of uh, diplomatic speak is not exactly his forte. <laughs> no, certainly not, especially when he takes to his Twitter at various hours of the day and night. But that's okay. I mean, we got all our diplomatic words from the French, and they're not so good at war. So, like, you know, I mean... Aside from helping us with our revolution, since then they've had some trouble with it. Um, it all balances nice. out in the end, as you're you know, like Desmarches and Ray Trenchmont, and like you know, you go through all the words; they're all parlay. They're usually surrender type words, like like parlay, communique, <laughs> communique. Like when you, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones, but I basically believe that like the language of diplomacy is. The white flag language. Right. Do I sound Trumpian, Peter? A little bit. Yeah. Well, you know. A little know. bit. I just. I'm always like, why are we like, why are we using these words that don't sound tough? I, I'm not saying that we always have to sound the toughest, but like sometimes it's like a little much. I'm like, I don't know. Do we have to drop the musket every time? John Allen, not a big fan of détente in general. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Détente's a perfect example. No. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I think that there's a good place for all those French words, but maybe occasionally some good old-fashioned American You know, words. I like you. You use all the best words. All the best, <laughs> only the best words. You know a lot of them, and you use all of them. All the best ones. Big league. Big league. Yes. This is the Bill Press Show. And this is going to be the best freaking minute on the radio this morning. we got one minute. I want to get in everything that I possibly can, which is largely going to be some thank yous. Obviously, thank you to Niall Stanage from The Hill, Joel Payne, the former Clinton campaign advisor, Betsy Woodruff of The Daily Beast, David Daly, editor-in-chief of Salon, Peter Ogburn, executive producer, Ray Rogers, not Ray Rice, if you're a Baltimore Ravens fan, also behind the glass, and Cyprian Boulding uh, doing all the television uh, work out there behind the door ready to come in and save us. Now, 15, 30, 45 seconds still left to go in this minute. Going back to Ivanka Trump on the plane. If you see Ivanka Trump on an airplane, do not tell her that you dislike her. Do not tell her that you dislike her father. Hold it to yourself. Tweet about it. Put it out on Facebook. Use one of those other platforms that is designed for your hate. It's a modern solution for a modern problem. Yeah, exactly. Just don't be a jerk. Um, and to that guy that got taken off the plane, that stunk. I'm John Allen on The Bill Press Show. Thanks for joining us. This is The Bill Press Show.